Hey folks, in this episode of the podcast, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Mr. Matt Granger, streaming to us all the way from Hong Kong. We're going to be talking about personal projects. This is Twitter. Welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. As always, it is a pleasure and an honor to get my buddy, Mr. Matt Granger, globetrotting photographer, educator, author, all those things in the hot seat, literally on the show. He looks like he's sitting on the hot seat with his background today. We're going to talk about personal projects and meander all over the place for the most part, but I wanted to get his thoughts on the idea of personal projects and how he executes some of his epic projects. Matt Granger, man, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, Frederick. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and the background, I'm trying to represent how it feels outside my apartment here in Hong Kong at the moment in the middle of summer. It's chilly there, right? It's, it's, uh, what's, the, what's the temperature? It's, uh, uh, so what did we figure out? It's about 90 Fahrenheit, so like mid-30s Celsius, but the humidity's a bit ridiculous. So every day feels like it's over 100. Oh, yuck. Yuck. Ugh. Well... Well, hey, better you than me. Hey, I'm out here in California. It's hot but dry. So, but then again, we yeah, have no so water. You guys are have... having crazy fires again? No, I'm not, not anywhere near you, are they? No, not not where I am right now. But that's just okay. that's a way of life out here. You know, you know, you uh, you burn and you pay too much for gas and you get in traffic and you do it again. <laughs> yeah i mean the gas is i think america's kind of had it good for a long time go to europe and they've always been paying more than you are now but that sucks but yeah growing up in australia we had the annual bushfires as well and they're just getting worse so good luck stay safe yeah I know, and for i'm sure. gonna come visit you soon so maybe they'll hold off the fires till then hey whatever we'll we'll meet on a burning you know in a burning forest, oh. if necessary, you and I got to hang whenever you're in the States. There must matter. be some photo ops there. Yes, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, let's, before we start talking about uh, personal projects and all that stuff, um, for the folks that may not be familiar with Matt Granger and your work and your style of work, how do you define yourself? Like your, your cocktail party elevator speech, pitch, if somebody says, hey, Matt, what do, what do you do? What do you tell them? Oh, man. Um, So, well, thanks for having me on. And for those who haven't uh, seen me, I've been on YouTube for about 12 years now. I've been, uh, I generally would call myself a people photographer. So I have shot all things to do with people. I've shot weddings and events, that kind of thing, getting started, especially, you know, when I was just getting started doing it part time on the side of my corporate gig. more recently, I, well, before the pandemic, I was spending about half the year running photography tours and workshops, so taking people to beautiful exotic locations around the world like Ethiopia, Namibia, Mongolia, Bhutan, Peru, Laos, Iceland, Japan, so on and so forth, wow. to uh, take them to the right places at the right time of day and year to get great photo opportunities and teaching them along the way. And with the pandemic kind of putting the brakes on that for a little while, I also run two photography schools where I have a bunch of different complete courses that people can uh, download. So rather than the kind of 50-50 entertainment and education that you get on YouTube, it's more kind of 
80-20-90-10 education heavy and they're you know five six seven hour long courses on different topics i've got learn.mattgranger.com that's all kinds of general photography flash and wedding and business and composition and all of those good things and then learn.artnudeportraiture which is artistic nude portraiture um and i'm now in the process of getting the tours back up and running for 2023 so that kind of keeps me busy you can probably hear i'm australian i was living in new york for about four years and now i've been in hong kong for two years you're yeah. like the you're like the james bond of photography <laughs> that's what's going on <laughs> or or the one well, of those I've guys i've had a few near deaths <laughs> yeah yeah wow <laughs> Running from the law? I don't know about that. I don't look that good in a tux, but um, I'm yeah. very clumsy. I'm not good with one-liners. But yeah, but, otherwise, pretty much James Bond. Yeah, pretty much. You're yeah. just traveling There was an Australian James Bond. He got cut after one film. <laughs> I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah, I understand why they cut him. Get his name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into this, man. I, I have questions for you. Um, I love doing I you know, one of the things I love about podcasting is I get to talk to people that and live vicariously through them. Right. And pick their brains that and ask you questions that just, you know, one of your students or someone off the street probably wouldn't feel comfortable asking mm -hmm. you or 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 have the opportunity to. So and to that end, I wanted to take this. There's so much, so many things that we could talk about. I wanted to talk about your philosophy around self projects and self project assignments mm -hmm. and executing on those and organizing them. You've done a couple of them. The one, one of them that comes to mind is um, the the book that you did where you were traveling. And I'm assuming this is a self project. I'm not sure if it was commissioned or not. But you're traveling around and you were doing nude portraits in in public places, unexpected public mm -hmm. places. So was that self, was that a self project? Yes, yeah, so that's actually years in the past now, although I'm still doing similar things. So I did two books. So the first one early on I did called Public uh, Private Bodies, which yeah. was about shooting people who aren't necessarily models. Um, so that idea that, uh, you know, you see so many photographers who are seem to have a great message of I just want to celebrate the body and focus on light and shadow and da 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 but only shooting pumped up 21 year old fitness models that kind of thing not a <laughs> yeah. full rep reflection of men and women and different ages and you know nationalities that kind of thing so it was shooting people in their own home so you instantly have kind of context for the person different interesting compositions and whilst shooting in 50 homes to make a book may get repetitive, every home's different. So you're going to get, you know, the person's sporting trophies or their book collection or their pets or whatever in the shots that makes them interesting. And for the follow-up, I did it as public bodies, kind of loosely around the idea. It was a little bit self-righteous, but I still believe this message. Why is it okay, and this isn't aimed at your American audience specifically, it's a worldwide thing, but why is it, that we feel the need to censor nudity for teenagers, but seeing someone get shot in the head is okay. It, yeah. Just like, forget about guns in America, but just like on TV, why are female nipples or God forbid male genitalia have to be censored for anyone under 18 or 21, but 
drug dealing or murder or violence or all of that stuff can be seen at a lower classification. It just seems insane that, you know, I, I get there has to be a line, you know, hardcore sex or something, in my opinion, is quite different to just somebody nude, which, you know, we all have bodies. So it was, why should the body have to be in the domain of the private in someone's own home? You know, we exist publicly, so mm -hmm. that's why public bodies. So, yeah, both of them were done, uh, you know, on my own dime, on my own um, time. And then those two books I did via Kickstarter. And gosh, that must have been six or seven years ago now that I put out public bodies. But they're both still available as ebooks. Um, and I think that was leading into a question about pub, uh, about projects in general. So yeah, both yeah. of those are they're, they're still kind of a good representation of the kind of personal projects I take on now. You know, I know best case is that as a creative, you should have. Oh, I don't know, but I think there would be an argument to say that you probably want to have some personal projects that have no commercial interest to them, that are just about passion and interest or extending yourself creatively or, you know, something that's an enjoyable release. Um, but then and now, I still try to do personal projects that I think will give me that outlet, give me the opportunity to you know, nourish myself however it is at the moment. I'm feeling desperate to travel. So that can incorporate the different kind of things that I want to be doing, but that ultimately can have some, you know, uh, business side to them. So right. that ultimately I can make into a course or a book or something. So partly, you know, the book was to uh, share it with, you know, put it out there that we've done this for, the audience, but also for the people who participated, you know, everyone who posed for public bodies and uh, private bodies, no one was paid. Everyone was posing because they were, they agreed with the concept and they liked the idea and they wanted to be a part of saying, there's nothing wrong with this. We're kind of literally taking a stand outside Buckingham Palace or whatever to, to say that we support this. <laughs> So it needed to finally get published. So I self-published it and then did the Kickstarter. And then long-term, it is, you know, financially viable. But it meant putting up, I don't know, I never did the maths on the actual, if I accounted for what I build my time at at the time, then it probably is still actually running at a loss. But in terms of the actual outlay of, you know, going to the places, paying to travel to them and then the tens of thousands of dollars to print the books that's probably that was recouped with the the kickstarter uh, probably not the travel but maybe over the long term so yeah i've got plenty of other personal projects that i'm working on both nude and non-nude but um they all have some eye on the the future horizon of how i can integrate them into the business as well so even you know if i after not having been for years, I just was in Iceland for almost a month and I took uh, my good friend Steph that I think you know and then yeah. my videographer Ernest along. Um, and we were doing, you know, 12 or 14 hour days and just filming and shooting like crazy. It was like about a terabyte of data a day we were creating in, you know, multiple 8K camera angles and drones and da-da-da-da-da. 
Um, it was exhausting, but so fantastic as well. It kind of gave me the the scratch my itch for needing to travel and needing an adventure and needing you know a challenge basically. But on that, we also made what do we do? Three. Well, we got content for three different courses, wow. plus uh, stuff for potential books. Um, so it's kind of. And that, that's what I was going to ask. So that, that piece right there, you know, the whole reason why, right? Are you, when you give yourself a self project, like you, you reveal that, yeah, there's always kind of an eye towards monetization in the future of this thing, but that's not necessarily driving the purpose of the project. Like you, like the Iceland trip, for example, sure. You're going there, you're going to create a mountain of content. So there's a reason why you're going, cause you can harvest that content and monetize it in, in any number of ways. But the other side of that is you were scratching an itch to go to, to get out and travel and do all that. So what, and then, then the Kickstarter layer on that. So for the, for the photographers that may not have done a self project and they're thinking of, okay, how do I do this? Do I just shoot it and then sell it? Or do I go to a sponsor and get money to go to Iceland and then shoot it. What advice do you give them? You know, if they want to, they want to do something and they, they want to do a self project and maybe monetize it. It's not completely, you know, altruistic. What, what do you recommend? I mean, so it really depends what situation you're in and you have to think about what is viable trying to, if you have no following, trying to do a project that then is going to need a $100,000 budget to make it break even, that's a bad idea. Don't take out a loan. Um, I, I don't know. You have to find the balance. There's some cases where, you know, I'm planning right now to head over to the state soon um, that, you know, the balance of how much of it is uh, business need or for sure going to add value to the projects that I'm making versus the the want of, I want to shoot it here, I want to do it in this way, I want to work with these people, I need this adventure, whatever. Um, you know, for Iceland, for example, we I couldn't do the projects I was doing by going to somewhere else, you know, Part of what I was doing was a guide to Iceland, so I can't mm. fake. Well, I could fake that against the green screen; it'd be pretty crap. But <laughs> you know that that was a, a need to. For people doing it that way, I would suggest if you're getting started, taking on personal projects should be about honestly about personal growth. You know, I've been shooting now for twenty-seven years or something like that, not professionally, but you know, regularly since I started training in high school. And I've always had little personal projects. So my advice to people at that stage is don't think about the commercial side of things. And for example, if you're into what's what's something that people are into, golf or dance or cooking. surfing or whatever it could be, cooking, fine. Then do a personal project around that, but make it something bigger than you know how to execute. So let's say you're into cooking, so you want to put together a series of all your favorite uh, home chefs in your neighborhood or trying to shoot 10 of your favorite online cooking personalities, whatever, or going to a cooking convention or something, something, something. You know, a good example is like doing a dance because then you might be able to go to a dance event, meet 
individual dancers, shoot them rehearsing, shoot them making their outfits, that kind of thing. Then make a project where you're trying to document that world, whatever it is, biker culture or surf culture. Mm -hmm. And by taking on a bunch of different shoots, you're going to find limitations in your skill set, in your equipment, in just, you know, how to execute a project that will force you to grow. And that's useful, whatever you're into. You know, that's, I think, good advice for photographers as much as it is to business analysts doing mm -hmm. big projects that you don't know how to do yet and committing to them. You're going to have to, you know, expand your skill set to get it done. And that can only be a good thing in the long run. And then if you do really well at it, you know, you might, and I'm sure I did at the beginning too, have some projects that kind of fall on their backside and you have a third of the shoots that didn't actually end up having great results, whatever, and over time your strike rate will get better. But you may find that you can at least break even on it because the dancers might be willing to buy some prints or to have a, a mini photo book put together by you that can help cover your costs when it's done. But at that time, the, the process should be about trying to learn and make the best pictures. If you're you know, later in your photography journey and you are thinking more about the, the financial end of it, then you really need to think about you know, any business you're in. You need to be thinking about who is your potential market for the, the final product and what's the best way to reach those people? What kind of products do they buy? What's their budget? There's no point trying to make a project for 16 to 20 year olds making hardcover books that cost $300. You won't sell any, you know, yeah. for that market, it's going to need to be something digital and something at a different price point and something that's interacted with in a way that they like to do it. So you have to meet the people at, you know, where they are rather than trying to bring them to, I want to do this, and then finding a market to buy it is usually not the best way to do it. Kind of figuring out who is the potential market for this and then making something that's going to suit their needs, that's the better way. So you're, you're saying uh, it, it, the, the if you build it, they will come method doesn't work for, <laughs> for this type of thing? I mean, no, it, it, it can, but if you have a big audience. Yeah. So to be yeah. honest, for me, and I hope this doesn't sound like self-righteous or you know that I have tickets on myself, but that is kind of how I can do it to an extent now that I know that with a few hundred thousand followers, if 1% of them, meaning a few thousand people, like the specific thing that I've made that I'm interested in, that's enough for it to be commercially viable that's a big difference than if you have no followers at, or you have a hundred followers, you can't be viable with one or 2% of them wanting to, you know, support what it is that you're doing. Yeah. So now I do tend to uh, focus in on things that I'm personally interested in. And, you know, if my interests are really specific or unique, then I might generalize it a little bit more so that it has you know, a bit of a broader appeal. Um, but for example, going to, I haven't even talked about this project yet, but for example, for the Iceland guide, rather than doing a, here's all the places that you should consider in Iceland, or here's the 100 most popular or the 50 most popular places to go, or the 50 easiest or the 50 best waterfalls, you know, I'm just focusing on, here's the, I won't give the number yet, X, here's my 
favorite locations in Iceland. And then, you know, I have enough people following me who know what I'm into. And, you know, I kind of think of it as like, uh, if, you, if you're into films or whatever you're into, you'll have critics who, or say you're into cars and then you follow different car bloggers, you'll have critics who their opinions seem to really align with yours. So if they say this film or car is great, you're probably going to love it too. And if they say it's garbage, you'll probably agree. And then there'll be others that you think maybe you respect them or you don't, but you completely disagree with them. So if they say it's a terrible film, you're probably going to love it. So you do the opposite of what they say. I kind of feel it's the same with me, that if I'm at least honest and consistent, even if people think, you know, I'm an idiot and if I say that this is a good camera, they don't want it, or at least they can make an informed decision either way based on it. They, over time, they're going to know my biases. They know I'm more interested in shooting people than no people or birds than mammals or whatever. Yeah. Then, you know, they can take that into account when they're considering what I'm putting out there. And at that point, you know, it would be nice to have tens of millions of followers so that one percent becomes a much bigger potential uh, customer base for me uh, but as you grow then you can be kind of more doing the kind of thing that you you want to do and that's actually kind of the point if you do a personal project that you're just passionate about people getting started in building a business i'm not like talking about trying to be an influencer that word just makes my skin crawl but even though I'm sure to a lot of people, that's exactly what my title is. Mm -hmm. um, if you get really good and known for doing something like, say, Von Wong did so many different personal projects that were producing great images and kind of found his niche doing uh, environmental type stuff. And now he's known for that. Well, now he's doing what he loves and there's a commercial side to it. And it's kind of having that follow on. So if you shoot cooks or dancers or bikers and then you become known as the biker guy and that community recognizes you and knows you and you're respected and trusted there will be an opportunity to commercialize that and you'll be doing what you want to do but you know you have to start out and get good and build an audience or a customer base first yeah. you can't just start and expect to sell and that's what they, I mean, that's the one thing, or that's one of the big things, right? You, you Audience and having that critical, that critical mass or not even critical mass, just having mass so that, like you said, that 1% starts making sense over time. Mm -hmm. But then the question for people that want to start a self project is if they have those eyes towards monetization and don't have an audience yet or have a small audience, what do they do? Is it filled with dreams for them? You know, if you build it, they will come or or do you seek some other method like a Kickstarter or something like that? Mm, it's interesting. I I can't say that I'm any kind of expert on this because I went through this 12 to 15 years ago and I think yeah. the, the landscape for social media has changed a lot since then. I don't know that uh, if I was starting now that I would get the audience I have because the algorithms different and whatnot but so how i started was just putting out it, it was you know field of dreams i was putting things out listening to feedback putting out more being consistent putting out more putting out more and then enough people eventually found it and i was doing topics that were getting you know some kind of traction and then those who enjoyed it were sticking around and you know some of them are still here um 
But I do think if you're, whatever you're doing, getting started, you need to, and, and this isn't, you know, being opportunistic or seeing people as numbers. It's just being realistic and trying to actually satisfy people. And mm-hmm. if, you know, you're not commercially minded or you don't want to be an influencer or whatever, you still, if you think of them as an audience or a customer base or your peers or whatever it may be, your community, if that's a more comfortable term for you, thinking about how you can satisfy what they want. This isn't, you know, some snake oil salesman jargon where I'm trying to like show you how to milk money out of these people. It's genuinely not that, but you need to be giving people something. You need to, whether it's that just second or two of visual interest as they scroll through their Instagram feed or delivering something of value that they're willing to pay for, there has to be something that makes them want to come back. So if you're getting started and you don't have any kind of an audience or community yet, then, you know, whereas I might be thinking about, so who travels, who's going to go to Iceland, what kind of photographer is interested in this, how can I tailor this guide to Iceland to best fit their needs, what's going to be the best kind of uh, bundle of visual and physical products and stuff that's going to give them the results, not just like be flashy to sell, but actually leave them with the information that they need to do what they want to do on their trip. That's how I approach it. But if you're getting started, and I'm just going to go with the dancers one. If you're getting started saying, I really love this style of dance rockabilly or ballroom dancing then okay so how can i get started so my uncle's into it let's see if he can introduce me to a few people then go to a a, a recital and then go to a practice and a studio and start to immerse yourself in the community as you're going through it you'll find out what these kind of people are where they get together where their message boards are what if there are products that they're buying what they tend to be is is everyone doing big prints or do people want ebooks or do people want videos of their performances or that kind of thing and then what frustrations they've found with photographers in the past that you can try to avoid and then try to again meet them where they are if you're wanting to build an audience for that on Instagram but none of those people are on Instagram they're all using I don't know TikTok or something that I haven't heard of yet that's where you should be. You should be going to where your potential audience lives. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, there's everything from planning, you know, and kind of having your initial germ of an idea like cooking or rockabilly or, you know, whatever, right. Having that initial germ of an idea. And then what is the planning piece look like, you know, from a, from a Matt Granger perspective, especially if you're doing an international trip, are you, are you exhaustively planning everything out to every detail? And okay, first we're gonna go here, and then these are the four shots I need to get. Anything else is gravy. Okay, then that night we're going over here to get some night shots, and then we're gonna sleep, and then in the morning we're up at 3 a.m. to get up to this volcano. You know, how do you how do you structure things? Or do you go to that level of detail and specificity, or do you, you know, play it by ear and and let randomness happen? Mm. Um, before I answer that, just let you know, when you look down and your hat disturbs the camera, it's focusing on your kid in the background. 
that's and by design. Takes a few seconds that's, to come back. In. Okay, well, that's how I get so her in the podcast, man. Come on, see. You know? Okay, so I thought it may be a, a cuteness detecting. You're gone now. It's on yeah, her, and now so. I'm back because oh, you know it needs. This is a it Lumix wasn't a camera. Criticism, just it's Lumix. It's Lumix. <laughs> so it has cute detect. Got it. It has cute detect um, filter. Yeah. <laughs> it it depends. So for Iceland, to take that as a specific example, it was fairly heavily planned um and there wasn't a huge like you have to put in some buffers especially somewhere like that where you might plan to have six hours of driving and six hours of filming in the day but you know when you get to the waterfall if it's just driving rain for two hours then you have to be able to make the call are we able to come back to this waterfall in two days' time when we do the loop and we pass it again? Or do we skip this one? Or uh, does it work to shoot it in these kind of conditions? If there's roadworks and we lose six hours, then are we not sleeping tonight? Or are we going to, you know, there has to be some little buffers in there. And, you know, there'll be times where you just have stuff ups and it, things take longer than you're expecting or... Just as the other side of that, you have wonderful moments where you find new things that are great and you want to add them in. But it, to answer your question, it was really heavily scheduled. So we knew where we were going. I had Google Maps for every day, where we were going, what we were stopping. I had notes on every location. So, you know, I don't off the top of my head in... Uh, script quality have every location and the history of them front of mind especially when I'm thinking about what cameras do we need is this for this course or that course because you know we would stop at a place and it could be for that course or it could be shooting a section for the art nude in public course with Steph or it could be for a different course that we were filming as well so we need to potentially shoot for three different courses at one location and keep in mind where we are in each course and what leads into it and what follows on from it it's a lot so i had already spent the time to write out that this is this location it's famous for this you access it this way this is the kind of equipment you might want to be shooting with mm -hmm. some notes for myself on different vantage points that i might want to try out ideas of different b-roll footage and angles that we should be considering because i just don't have the mental capacity to think of all of that at on the fly five locations yeah. a day for 12 days while you're tired um, so on the was, fly and hungry and all that right <laughs> yes so yeah. th that was really heavily planned out um so i well i've just closed the dock right now but i'm currently planning uh another trip and for that one it's kind of early on but it's getting it's complicated being in hong kong because coming back i need to do uh, a hotel quarantine still at the moment, it's seven days. So the tricky part with that is everywhere is fully booked now. So you have to struggle to find one. I'm like, okay, I can get a hotel starting on the 30th. Okay, so I need to have a flight that's going to get me here on the 30th. And then I can't let that slip because if I'm a day late, then my hotel booking is gone and I probably can't replace it. And then I'm stuck. So working back from that, okay, I'm going to want three days there, four days here, two days for travel, a day for rest, whatever, and then I can figure out kind of the start of my trip. And then if I have, okay, so I'm going to have four days in this city and I'm trying to work on this course and I'm trying to meet with this person and collaborate on that thing, then I can start to kind of build out those four days in that city 
kind of doing it in reverse. It's, I, you know, I don't plan every hour on a trip like that, especially if I'm part of the reason I'm going is because I'm missing travel. So having just, you know, my entire day scheduled out is not really that much fun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would normally say plan to have a half day shoot and then a half day that is either going to be free or to catch up with people or to collaborate on something else each day or, you know, some days it'll end up being free because things don't work out and you have to move them around. And then I can take that time to just go visit a new neighborhood or go check out a business or whatever it may be to, or just, you know, go and often the, the cases when I was in New York last time, I shot with someone and we had such a great time that when somebody else, when something fell through, I would just call that person up and say, Hey, do you want to shoot something else again? right now because I'm suddenly available and you can fill the time up that way. Um, did that actually answer your question? It did. It did. Yeah. Okay. There's, yeah, there's, there's a lot. I mean, there's, you should write a book on self projects cause it, there's a lot here, right? You know, everything from the planning piece of it. Like one of the things that I keyed in on what you're talking about is yeah, you plan it meticulously down to, you know, kind of getting an idea or storyboarding, right? Okay, I'm going to get these angles. Um, we're going to get there at this time of day. These kind of shots have been popular, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if you go down to the level of using an app like PhotoPills or Photographer's Ephemeris or something to like, okay, we know the Milky Way is going to be right there. So we need to be over there on this day. Do you do, you do that level or is it more of location that's get there while there's daylight? <laughs> For tours, we are definitely thinking about that, that, you know, if we want to catch the market, that's only on a Sunday. If we want to get these birds, they're only out 5 to 6 a.m. or whatever. This yeah. The tarantula is best defined at 10 p.m., whatever. <laughs> um, I don't know about the timing, but, yeah, we've had trips where we're thinking about what's the best time to get, see the tarantulas. Um, but for Iceland, we it was... Uh, Kind of, I was doing it around migratory birds, so that's more the time of year. And then the time we were there, it's um, it's kind of the land of the the midnight sun. So yeah, the sun true. never goes down. So that was meant that if we wanted to start a day at 3 a.m. or finish a day at 3 a.m., it didn't really matter. And you don't get hard overhead sun. The sun just kind of goes low over the horizon and never disappears. So um that wasn't so much of an issue for that one but certainly for other ones it is and you know if i were when was it maybe two years ago i came out and was shooting a series in the california desert and we were there when it was like 105 110 something mm -hmm. like that we were out in joshua tree so for that trying to go out at 5 a.m. so that we could film 8 till 11 and then do nothing from 12 till 4 and then go back out at 4 till 8 was the way to do it. So we didn't die. Yeah. Yeah. 105 in that area. Those are the good old days. Yeah. They were, I think they're 112 now this year. It, it may have been hotter. I think, you know, without humidity, that was probably the highest just on the thermometer temperature we'd ever had. It may, I don't actually know. Uh, Fahrenheit that well, but I think it was like 46, 47. So that could be like 115 or something. I don't know. Wow. Fireball Earth. 
Um, yes. You know what? This is not not necessarily related. Before I forget, I want to I want to ask this question of you. Um, I think the last time you and I spoke, you had recently taken delivery of your coveted Z9 or Z9, depending on where you are, what hemisphere you're in. Um, are you still in love with that camera? Are you, have you, have you, has it multiplied? Do you have three of them now or what? No, just the two, but I'm, we're filming myself on it now and I have another one right here. I, I was going to ask because your shot just, looks great. Blanket. Yeah, your shot Thank looks you. great. It's, it's perfect. Well, it's meant to replicate me on the surface of the sun. So yeah, it's yeah. working. Or um, Mars. For, yeah. to, to, to show the 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 whole setup, I've just got a little colored light here. So this is on thirty two hundred Kelvin, and then yeah. that's shining onto this hand painted red backdrop. So if I turn that off, you can see it's kind of flat, but the yeah. light does a nice job. Um, and then yeah, so the Z nine. I'm really impressed with, we've just kind of started filming with it more often uh, using the ProRes. So ProRes RAW is incredible, but the 10-bit ProRes 4K, it's kind of, I, 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 what's the right way to say it? I'm surprised that it can make such a difference that on a camera that is so high quality and then I'm using uh, lenses that are <clears throat> incredibly sharp and contrasty, the difference shooting in ProRes to one of the other formats for how painfully and clinically sharp the shot becomes. <clears throat> and it's not like it's sharpened, it's just so detailed. It's kind of staggering. And then you're, even though it's only 4K, you can actually crop into it and not have a noticeable drop in image quality. The only thing is, it is, they are huge files, you know, shooting with 8K, 30 versus ProRes 4K, it's probably it's even a bigger file or it's got to be close. Um, but yeah, I think it looks really nice. But how does that work? Are you, are, are you coming out of that, the, the Z9, are you coming out of that directly into your, your computer? Or are you going into some other USB to HDMI converter? How, how do you get the signal out of that Z9 into the computer? So I don't know if this is the best way, but I'm using, they, I don't know if they even sell them anymore, but it's a Blackmagic Quad HDMI uh, card. So mm -hmm. I have a full-size computer here. Um, so it's a PCIe card that actually plugs into your motherboard and it will take four 4K 60 streams at once. So you can do Jeez. switching. So the camera just goes straight into that. Yeah, I'm actually surprised. Looking at the Blackmagic range now, they've got everything but if you want to do 4k and have multiple there's not many options that will do it especially at a high quality and i don't know that they still offer this card it's relatively inexpensive i think when i got it it was maybe like 600 bucks for the card mm -hmm. which is a lot but to do what it's doing you could spend a thousand dollars for something that does four 1080 streams and this one just works it's actually the main thing that's keeping me on this tower computer rather than upgrading to one of the new uh, M1, M2 Max is that yeah. I am not confident that an external housing for this card is going to actually work because right. uh, it's technical and we're going off on a tangent now. But yeah, so that's how I do it. And then for YouTube, you can use software like OBS, which will convert it and let you go straight to YouTube. And yeah. for this, fortunately, your 
your software, whatever it is, and Zoom will detect the card and just show it as a webcam. That's great. Yeah, I'm using Ecamm Live um, to do all my switching and all that, which is basically the equivalent to OBS, but on the Mac, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you're plugging, there's a, so HDMI out of that Z9, and I'm asking this because I have one in my shopping cart right now. So <laughs> HDMI uh -huh. out directly into the HDMI import on that card of yours, right? So there's no interface yep. in between. Nice. Correct. Good. Just, just okay. full size to full size. Beautiful. And then you can put any camera there. So you just, whatever, the Z7 has a mini and a, something else has a micro, it, it, it's all good. You just plug it as in. long as the camera will stream happily, then it works fine. And you can have all of your overlays on there if you enable that in the camera. So it shows the eye box tracking me and the little data down the bottom about your setup, or you can just have a clean feed like this. Yeah. But yeah, and then the Z9 is a good option because I don't need to be adding power. We could chat for two hours and my camera's not going to run out of battery, that kind of thing. This backlight will probably need a, a new battery if we go more than an hour and a half, but otherwise it does great. But to your question about the Z9, I did, uh, not trying to dodge your question and push people to YouTube, but I did a six-month review just uh, a few weeks ago. I was lucky to get this. Uh, I was actually in Australia at the time. I think it was... Uh, the day before Christmas, they went public mm -hmm. um, for sale. And I was in Sydney at the time. So I was lucky I was able to pick mine up there. Um, they're great, but uh, it's, not, it's not a but. I, there's nothing at all tempting me to want to buy something else from another system. But if you were a Sony or a Canon shooter, I don't think that the Z9 is like, oh my God, I have to drop my A1 or my R3 and go get this thing, unless you're needing the, the 8K and the ProRes without overheating. I don't think there's many cameras or any others really uh, that can do that. Um, but in terms of the stills and everything, it's not perfect. No camera is. There's, you know, a still go through and there was a list of things that I wish they would have done differently. But having said that, it's still for me as a Nikon user, easily the best and the highest performing camera that I could be owning right now or that I've ever owned. So it's great and I have no complaints, very lucky. I know there's still people out there wanting one. And I think I said this to you a few months ago, so this isn't aimed at you, but to everyone. If you're frustrated about the waiting list, please tell me you at least have your name on a list. Because if you are like, ah, I heard the list is six months long, so I'm not going to put my name on the list. Well, that's like complaining you didn't win the lottery when you didn't buy a ticket. That's all on you. Yeah. You just, you never know. I mean, for you especially, your name might get recognized and you might get one a little bit more quickly. But, you know, I had people write to me in Belgium or Iceland where actually they were able to get one in, six weeks because maybe Iceland only gets two a month, but maybe there's only three people with their name down in that area. So yeah, yeah. if you put your name down at your mom and pop shop and at B and H and you know, wherever you just never know when they'll come through. So yeah. Place your that's bets. true for any gear. And it's not just Nikon as Nikon's a relatively small company, but if you want, uh, high-end Mac Studio or MacBook Pro expect to wait one to three months as well. 
And that's yeah, the biggest, crazy. most profitable company on the earth. There's just supply chain issues for everyone right now. So yeah. it sucks that if you've saved up and worked hard and you've got this money for a piece of equipment that you want, but it's not a Nikon specific issue that there's supply issue to you know, it's a world. It's a world it's, issue. It's a hard problem. It's a good problem to have where demand is just ten times higher than your previous cameras. But sadly, supply is fifty percent. Or actually, supply. They're probably selling more Z9s than they. Well, I'm sure than they did D6s. But you know, comparing it to a D5, even they're probably actually making more. It's just that demand is so much higher. That's right. Yeah, yeah they're, they're probably thinking, man, this was a this was the would have been a great time to come out with a lackluster product, right? <laughs> so we could blame <laughs> we could blame its sales on supply chain, right? <laughs> but alas, yeah. What's up? What's what's coming up for Matt Granger next, right? So you're you're, you're you know the you know, closing the self project loop here. Um, any self projects on the horizon for you, or or what's coming up? So I have, look, to be perfectly honest, I, so for those who don't know, I was living in New York uh, from 2016 to 2020. And then we kind of realized that, well, I'm not able to run tours right now. This was, you know, we were right in Manhattan at the peak of the pandemic when New York was the first badly hit city in the States. We can't really travel. We're kind of stuck in our overpriced apartment and not going out very much. How about we consider going to Hong Kong? That's where my wife is from. So we're here and overall, I do love it. But not with travel being difficult, it is making life difficult. Hong Kong, I don't know. Have you been to Hong Kong, Frederick? I have not been to Hong Kong. Okay, so... One, please come, and I'd be happy to show you around, but wait until Done. the quarantine's over. Yes. Um, but it's it's a high-intensity city. It's like being in the densest part of Manhattan, but that's the entire city-state is oh, that. Um, and then there's parts of it where, you know, where I am is relatively quiet for Hong Kong Island, which is like the Manhattan of uh, Hong Kong, kind of. Um, but... A few minutes away, there's a shopping area that's just normal for Hong Kong people that's more built up than Times Square or downtown LA, easily more concentrated, more dense shops, more dense housing than probably anywhere in the States. And it's a 10-minute walk from my little sleepy neighborhood. Wow. It's it's insane. So the, the point I'm getting at is it's... really it can be draining living here for locals or expats so to find balance i think everyone here who has the means travels often whether it's just across the border north to southern china or you can easily go to taiwan korea japan you know anywhere around here it was common that people would take a inexpensive flight have a weekend away every couple of months to kind of reset from the grind of Hong Kong and no one's been able to do that for a few years. And I think mm. it's kind of playing on a lot of people and me, especially because I used to do that anyway, be traveling four five, six months a year. So uh, a lot of my personal projects now are kind of built around what is it that I want to explore? What's uh, a challenge for me, but also how can I fit in some kind of travel that's going to work with the restrictions I have now with quarantine as well. 
Um, and, you know, so I was just, I did the trip to, I was in the States seeing some friends and whatnot, then in Iceland, then in Switzerland. And fortunately, that all came off fairly easily. Um, on the last day, my quarantine hotel hit a snafu, which we sorted out at 2 a.m. And then I woke up at 8 a.m. to find my return flight had been canceled and oh, had to geez. rebook that. But it all, that was, you know, one day of concentrated cluster effery um but it was fortunately the last day and then i got home no problem but seeing the travel issues that are going on in europe at the moment i don't know that i would want to be going there right now so um it's a little yeah, toasty there to too find it's, a little, it's a little hot in europe right now too so you know True. you'd be going um, going no from the broiler to the frying pan <laughs> It's, I think it's going from the steamer to the oven, yeah. But I can take an oven. The humidity here is what's kind of... Well, and that's the other thing. You know, Hong Kong in summer, for me anyway, means half an hour of filming at the start or the end of the day I can manage. But if I'm out all day, you just... After, you know, 40 minutes, you need a, uh, an outfit that when it's completely wet looks like it's just a darker shade of shirt because oh, I'm going like to be that. completely soaked through, um, which is draining. So then Literally. you're looking at <laughs> doing your shoots, uh, you know, the way you can do your shoots and then indoor spaces are limited when space is so limited in Hong Kong. It does start to add up to be difficult for filming in and that, that's actually a challenge for my work generally here, being so dense, finding areas that have the space to shoot where you're allowed to film outside that don't have constant construction or traffic noise can be a challenge. And then you find a couple of places, which I have, but then for kind of June, July, August, it's just ridiculously hot and hard to film. And then if you find a, a good place that has a breeze and a shade, you're going to have 300 other people kind of squatting out, having their lunch or their cigarette break as well. It becomes a challenge. So a question yeah. about personal projects. Yes, I have a couple on the boil that have been going on for a while. I am working on that. So a, a lot of them are to do with things that I'm interested in, but I'm going to be making uh, courses on. So I'm working on a course. I, I just released one uh, start of this month. I got lost on the month. So it's still July, start of this month on bodyscape photography, which is something I've shot a lot, but I'd never made a course on. So we shot part of that with Steph in Iceland using ultra wide lenses. Then we did part doing uh, just kind of classic bodyscapes with uh, model Felicia that I've been working with a lot, muscle bodyscapes with Dion, and then some creative light and shadow cookie options with another model Mel. So I just put that one out and that's actually still up on uh, launch sale for until the start of August, if anyone's interested. Cool. Um, I'm working on another one, which is about nude in public and how to do a shoot like that in a safe and um, uh, kind of respectful way. So when we do it in public, it sounds like you, you know, people might get the idea of, you know, someone in a trench coat flashing. It's not that at all. It's about how actually the, our goal in all the shoots is that no one even notices that we were there shooting. So how do you go to uh, the Millennium Bridge in London, which is a shot I did a few years ago with the, the 
cathedral in the background and the Tate Modern Museum at your back, and it's this epic location. How do you get a dozen people there nude and get a beautiful photo without, you know, causing a riot? Well, one, yeah. it helps that it's London and it's legal and that people have a different attitude towards it over there. But two, you know, the logistics, making sure that everyone knows what you're doing, doing it efficiently, being able to get the shot and not needing 10 minutes to refine the shot because you need to get it and go. Um, so I'm putting some finishing touches on that at the moment. I've already filmed in a couple of places around the world, but I'm planning to go back to the UK later this year to finish that off. It's a great place to do it because there's so many iconic locations and it's just flat out legal to be nude in public there. So no need to venture into the gray zone to, to you know, do something like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping that I'll actually get, if you have any viewers in the UK who would be uh, willing to pose, it's not about having a g hashtag gym summer body or anything like that. It's just about being comfortable with it. Um, I'm actually hoping to get my biggest shoot ever. So I've had shoots with 20, 30, 40 people in them before, but if we can get 100 that would be awesome. So if people are interested, then get in touch with me. And if you want to fly on over to London, I would love to have you too, Frederick. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. All right. Well, we will talk offline, my friend. I, there's a lot of places I need to go because you talk about stir crazy. I'm stuck here, you know, stuck here in California. California is not a bad place to be, but, you know, international travel well, has not I will been there for a while. Yeah, well, I mean, it's easy for you guys now. I don't think there's even a return test. So no. if you want to, then, except you can't come to Hong Kong, but there's a lot of places that you could, like, go to Singapore or Europe, basically, with no tests or masks, if that's your preference, in either direction. But yeah. um, I hope I'll get to Cali in the next month or so, so we should go out into the desert and, you know, get a tan and get some shots. Done. All right. And, and uh, that's a good... You know, a, a, well, I was going to say that'd be a good reason to make sure I had a, a Z9 by then, but it's not up to me, is it? <laughs> so, so. I'll let you use one of mine, okay? Yeah, all right. <laughs> as, as long as you don't mind my my Z6 hands touching your Z9, right? <laughs> oh, have you put your order in? I have not. Have you actually? I have not. Okay. I, I'm so, going to. I'm going to. Respectfully, yeah. quit your bitching. Quit your Finish bitching. Get your shit together. <laughs> I know. I know. You sound like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so where where should people point their browsers to connect with you and all this other magic stuff that you're working on? So for all the free content we put out, head on over to YouTube forward slash Matt Granger. Um, basically, if you search Matt Granger, you'll probably find me. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and all of that. If you're interested in my courses, then it's learn.mattgranger.com is all the general photography. The learn.artnudeportraiture.com, it is not suitable for work. I'm not you know, suggesting that you know, whilst I think the human body is beautiful and not something that should be censored in the same way other things are i appreciate you don't want naked breasts popping up on your screen at work so the whole website contains nudity please view that when you're somewhere that that works for you but that has all kinds of different uh, nude photography uh courses and that's where the the bodyscapes one is and the upcoming uh nude in public will be um 
That's probably it. And then on uh, Instagram, I'm underscore Matt Granger. And I also have Art Nude Portraiture on Instagram as well. All right. Matt Granger, ladies and gentlemen, man extraordinaire, self-project master. You heard it here first. Mm-hmm. Matt Granger is putting out a book on self, self-projects. self No, I'm kidding. You should put that on the list, Matt. You should put it on the list. I would buy that. You know, I'd that, buy the Iceland book difficulty- too. Difficulty for an org uh, like an organizational one or a projects one my concern is have, i think we talked about this once you know mari kondo i'm sure oh, yeah. we talked about yeah yeah spark joy okay and then so that is now like a so i think it's a great book but it's now like almost a joke in my mind because when i think about writing books now i always think of that one those people <laughs> sorry to end your, to interrupt your outro it's, but it's, so it's this book about how to declutter your life simplify things get rid of stuff that's just taking up space in your house and thereby in your life and just get down to the essence so you could think of it as your camera bag of whittling away lenses you don't need or your house and all the crap we accumulate it's a bit wishy-washy and, you know, airy-fairy for me with the what sparks joy thanking your socks and underwear for their service before you put them in the trash. <laughs> but it's this hundred and whatever page book about getting rid of clutter and 99 of the pages is just with waffle and bullshit. And clutter? Basically, it needs to be, do you use it often? When you pick it up, does it make you feel like you're holding something special? Throw away the stuff that isn't special. Keep the stuff that is. All of the other, you know, rainbow and fairy dust could be cut out. That's a one-page book not demonstrating the idea of reducing clutter. That book is clutter. 99% of that book is clutter. I'd have to agree with you. There's also (laughs) an original Netflix series that she has as I saw well. that. Yeah. Person, and I love I the lady's nice. I, you know, I agree with you. You could boil it down to the salt and that's what it is. But it's entertaining watching her just kind of get all emotional and saying goodbye to the old socks and all that. There's a it's all it's entertainment, right? It's theater, it's pageantry, you know, but at the at the seed level, sure. You know, it's mm-hmm. throw the crap away you don't use, you know, the stuff you like, keep it. That's it. So that's the, that's actually how I model my courses. Now the video will be like my, I have a Nikon expert setup guide, which you'll need if you get a Z9. Um, the, the video is going through, talking it through in detail, maybe a little bit of entertainment and that can be a bit long form. But then if you give a book format of something, it should be, as you say, just the salt. So it's, you know, a five page, but almost of dot points of, this is what the setup. Go to E9, check this. Go to F11, check this. You don't need my reminiscing on the time I was in the field in Laos and needed to change your setting in a book. Mari Kondo, save that for the video. <laughs> Sorry, Matt Granger. <laughs> Matt, we'll leave it right there. Yeah, when you when you're yeah. here in the in the states or in California, let me know. You know, we we absolutely hundred sure. percent have to hang out. So yeah, miss you. Um, yeah, likewise, Get likewise. Out of another out. Airbnb. Well, yeah, we'll have to tell that story on a subsequent uh, episode of this, how we got ejected from an Airbnb. Yeah, that was fun. Should have yes. recorded that whole thing. That would be great. <laughs> All right, Matt, we'll leave it right there. Thanks for coming on, man. I, I appreciate you, especially at short notice. Yeah, my pleasure. I, Thanks we, for having we just, me. We just talked earlier this week. I was like, come on the show. And you're like, yeah, okay, done. Even though I tried to get you up at, what, 
5 a.m. or something to do this? Yeah, 8, eight is good. I'm good at 8. So thank you for having eight? me. No, thanks a lot. All right, we'll leave it right there. Matt Granger, you have a good rest of your day. Stay cool out there. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in California. Hope so. Take care, everyone. This is Twitter.